Section 15 of Volume 1D of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1D, Section 15, Chapter 40, Part 2 among the nobility and gentry that seemed to enter into norfolk's views there were many who were zealously attached to the catholic religion who had no other design than that of restoring mary to her liberty and who would gladly by a combination with foreign powers or even at the expense of a civil war have placed her on the throne of england the earls of northumberland and westmoreland who possessed great power in the north were leaders of this party and the former nobleman made offer to the queen of scots by leonard dacres brother to lord dacres that he would free her from confinement and convey her to scotland or any other place to which she should think proper to retire sir thomas and sir edward stanley sons of the earl of derby sir thomas gerard rolstone and other gentlemen whose interest lay in the neighbourhood of the place where mary resided concurred in the same views and required that in order to facilitate the execution of the scheme a diversion should in the meantime be made from the side of flanders norfolk discouraged and even in appearance suppressed these conspiracies both because his duty to elizabeth would not allow him to think of effecting his purpose by rebellion and because he foresaw that if the queen of scots came into the possession of these men they would rather choose for her husband the king of spain or some foreign prince who had power as well as inclination to re-establish the catholic religion when men of honour and good principles like the duke of norfolk engage in dangerous enterprises they are commonly so unfortunate as to be criminal by halves and while they balance between the execution of their designs and their remorses their fear of punishment and their hope of pardon they render themselves an easy prey to their enemies the duke in order to repress the surmises spread against him spoke contemptuously to elizabeth of the scottish alliance affirmed that his estate in england was more valuable than the revenue of a kingdom wasted by civil wars and factions and declared that when he amused himself in his own tennis court at norwich amidst his friends and vassals he deemed himself at least a petty prince and was fully satisfied with his condition finding that he did not convince her by these asseverations and that he was looked on with a jealous eye by the ministers he retired to his country seat without taking leave he soon after repented of this measure and set out on his return to court with a view of using every expedient to regain the queen's good graces but he was met at st albans by fitzgarrett lieutenant of the band of pensioners by whom he was conveyed to burnham three miles from windsor where the court then resided he was soon after committed to the tower under the custody of sir henry neville leslie bishop of ross the queen of scots ambassador 
was examined and confronted with Norfolk before the council. The Earl of Pembroke was confined to his own house. Arundel, Lumley, and Throgmorton were taken into custody. The Queen of Scots herself was removed to Coventry. All access to her was, during some time, more strictly prohibited, and Viscount Hereford was joined to the Earls of Shrewsbury and Huntingdon in the office of guarding her. A rumour had been diffused in the north of an intended rebellion, and the Earl of Sussex, President of York, alarmed with the danger, sent for Northumberland and Westmoreland, in order to examine them, but not finding any proof against them, he allowed them to depart. The report, meanwhile, gained ground daily, and many appearances of its reality being discovered, orders were dispatched by Elizabeth to these two noblemen to appear at court and answer for their conduct. They had already proceeded so far in their criminal designs that they dared not to trust themselves in her hands. They had prepared measures for a rebellion, had communicated their design to Mary and her ministers, had entered into a correspondence with the Duke of Alva, governor of the Low Countries, had obtained his promise of a reinforcement of troops, and of a supply of arms and ammunition, and had prevailed on him to send over to London Chiapino Vitelli, one of his most famous captains, on pretense of adjusting some differences with the Queen, but in reality with a view of putting him at the head of the northern rebels. The summons sent to the two earls precipitated the rising before they were fully prepared, and Northumberland remained in suspense between opposite dangers when he was informed that some of his enemies were on the way with a commission to arrest him. He took horse instantly, and hastened to his associate Westmoreland, whom he found surrounded with his friends and vassals, and deliberating with regard to the measures which he should follow in the present emergence. They determined to begin the insurrection without delay, and the great credit of these two noblemen, with that zeal for the Catholic religion which still prevailed in the neighbourhood, soon drew together multitudes of the common people. They published a manifesto, in which they declared that they intended to attempt nothing against the Queen, to whom they vowed unshaken allegiance, and that their sole aim was to re-establish the religion of their ancestors, to remove evil counsellors, and to restore the Duke of Norfolk and other faithful peers to their liberty and to the Queen's favour. The number of the malcontents amounted to four thousand foot and sixteen hundred horse, and they expected the concurrence of all the Catholics in England. The Queen was not negligent in her own defence, and she had beforehand from her prudent and wise conduct acquired the general goodwill of her people, the best security of a sovereign, inasmuch that even the Catholics in most counties expressed an affection for her service, and the Duke of Norfolk himself, though he had lost her favour and lay in confinement, was not wanting, as far as his situation permitted, to promote the levies among his friends and retainers. Sussex, attended by the earls of Rutland, the lords Hunsdon, Evers, and Willoughby of Parham, matched against the rebels at the head of seven thousand men, 
and found them already advanced to the bishopric of durham of which they had taken possession they retired before him to hexham and hearing that the earl of warwick and lord clinton were advancing against them with a greater body they found no other resource than to disperse themselves without striking a blow the common people retired to their houses the leaders fled into scotland northumberland was found skulking in that country and was confined by murray in the castle of lochleven westmoreland received shelter from the chieftains of the curs and scots partisans of mary and persuaded them to make an inroad into england with a view of exciting a quarrel between the two kingdoms after they had committed great ravages they retreated to their own country this sudden and precipitate rebellion was followed soon after by another still more imprudent raised by leonard dacres lord hunsdon at the head of the garrison of berwick was able without any other assistance to quell these rebels great severity was exercised against such as had taken part in these rash enterprises sixty-six petty constables were hanged and no less than eight hundred persons are said on the whole to have suffered by the hands of the executioner but the queen was so well pleased with norfolk's behaviour that she released him from the tower allowed him to live though under some show of confinement in his own house and only exacted a promise from him not to proceed any further in his negotiations with the queen of scots elizabeth now found that the detention of mary was attended with all the ill consequences which she had foreseen when she first embraced that measure this latter princess recovering by means of her misfortunes and her own natural good sense from that delirium into which she seems to have been thrown during her attachment to bothwell had behaved with such modesty and judgment and even dignity that every one who approached her was charmed with her demeanour and her friends were enabled on some plausible grounds to deny the reality of all those crimes which had been imputed to her compassion for her situation and the necessity of procuring her liberty proved an incitement among all her partisans to be active in promoting her cause and as her deliverance from captivity it was thought could nowise be effected but by attempts dangerous to the established government elizabeth had reason to expect little tranquillity so long as the scottish queen remained a prisoner in her hands but as this inconvenience had been preferred to the danger of allowing that princess to enjoy her liberty and to seek relief in all the catholic courts of europe it behoved the queen to support the measure which she had adopted and to guard by every prudent expedient against the mischiefs to which it was exposed she had flattered mary with hopes of her protection maintained an ambiguous conduct between that queen and her enemies in scotland negotiated perpetually concerning the terms of her restoration made constant professions of friendship to her and by these artifices endeavoured both to prevent her from making any desperate efforts for her deliverance and to satisfy the french and spanish ambassadors who never intermitted their solicitations sometimes accompanied with menaces in her behalf 
this deceit was received with the same deceit by the queen of scots professions of confidence were returned by professions equally insincere and while an appearance of friendship was maintained on both sides the animosity and jealousy which had long prevailed between them became every day more inveterate and incurable these two princesses in address capacity activity and spirit were nearly a match for each other but unhappily mary besides her present forlorn condition was always inferior in personal conduct and discretion as well as in power to her illustrious rival elizabeth and mary wrote at the same time letters to the regent the queen of scots desired that her marriage with bothwell might be examined and a divorce be legally pronounced between them the queen of england gave murray the choice of three conditions that mary should be restored to her dignity on certain terms that she should be associated with her son and the administration remain in the regent's hands till the young prince should come to years of discretion or that she should be allowed to live at liberty as a private person in scotland and have an honourable settlement made in her favour murray summoned a convention of states in order to deliberate on these proposals of the two queens no answer was made by them to mary's letter on pretence that she had been employed the style of a sovereign addressing herself to her subjects but in reality because they saw that her request was calculated to prepare the way for a marriage with norfolk or some powerful prince who could support her cause and restore her to the throne they replied to elizabeth that the two former conditions were so derogatory to the royal authority of their prince that they could not so much as deliberate concerning them the third alone could be the subject of treaty it was evident that elizabeth in proposing conditions so unequal in their importance invited the scots to a refusal of those which were more advantageous to mary and as it was difficult if not impossible to adjust all the terms of the third so as to render it secure and eligible to all parties it was concluded that she was not sincere in any of them it is pretended that murray had entered into a private negotiation with the queen to get mary delivered into his hands and as elizabeth found the detention of her in england so dangerous it is probable that she would have been pleased on any honourable or safe terms to rid herself of a prisoner who gave her so much inquietude but all these projects vanished by the sudden death of the regent who was assassinated in revenge of a private injury by a gentleman of the name of hamilton murray was a person of considerable vigour abilities and constancy but though he was not unsuccessful during his regency in composing the dissensions in scotland his talents shone out more eminently in the beginning than in the end of his life his manners were rough and austere and he possessed not that perfect integrity which frequently accompanies and can alone atone for that unamiable character by the death of the regent scotland relapsed into anarchy mary's party assembled together and made themselves master of edinburgh 
the castle commanded by kirkady of grange seemed to favour her cause and as many of the principal nobility had embraced that party it became probable though the people were in general averse to her that her authority might again acquire the ascendant to check its progress elizabeth dispatched sussex with an army to the north under colour of chastising the ravages committed by the borderers he entered scotland and laid waste the lands of the curs and scots seized the castle of hume and committed hostilities on all mary's partisans who he said had offended his mistress by harbouring the english rebels sir william dury was afterwards sent with a body of troops and he threw down the houses of the hamiltons who were engaged in the same faction the english armies were afterwards recalled by agreement with the queen of scots who promised in return that no french troops should be introduced into scotland and that the english rebels should be delivered up to the queen by her partisans but though the queen covering herself with the pretence of revenging her own quarrel so far contributed to support the party of the young king of scots she was cautious not to declare openly against mary and she even sent a request which was equivalent to a command to the enemies of that princess not to elect during some time a regent in the place of murray lennox the king's grandfather was therefore chosen temporary governor under the title of lieutenant hearing afterward that mary's partisans instead of delivering up westmoreland and the other fugitives as they had promised had allowed them to escape into flanders she permitted the king's party to give lennox the title of regent and she sent randolph as her resident to maintain a correspondence with him but notwithstanding this step taken in favour of mary's enemies she never laid aside her ambiguous conduct nor quitted the appearance of amity to that princess being importuned by the bishop of ross and her other agents as well as by foreign ambassadors she twice procured a suspension of arms between the scottish factions and by that means stopped the hands of the regent who was likely to obtain advantages over the opposite party by these seeming contrarieties she kept alive the factions in scotland increased their mutual animosity and rendered the whole country a scene of devastation and of misery she had no intention to conquer the kingdom and consequently no interest or design to instigate the parties against each other but this consequence was an accidental effect of her cautious politics by which she was engaged as far as possible to keep on good terms with the queen of scots and never to violate the appearances of friendship with her at least those of neutrality the better to amuse mary with the prospect of an accommodation cecil and sir walter mildmay were sent to her with proposals from elizabeth the terms were somewhat rigorous such as a captive queen might expect from a jealous rival and they thereby bore the greater appearance of sincerity on the part of the english court 
it was required that the queen of scots besides renouncing all title to the crown of england during the lifetime of elizabeth should make a perpetual league offensive and defensive between the kingdoms that she should marry no englishman without elizabeth's consent nor any other person without the consent of the states of scotland that compensation should be made for the late ravages committed in england that justice should be executed on the murderers of king henry that the young prince should be sent into england to be educated there and that six hostages all of them noblemen should be delivered to the queen of england with the castle of hume and some other fortress for the security of performance such were the conditions upon which elizabeth promised to contribute her endeavours towards the restoration of the deposed queen the necessity of mary's affairs obliged her to consent to them and the kings of france and spain as well as the pope when consulted by her approved of her conduct chiefly on account of the civil wars by which all europe was at that time agitated and which incapacitated the catholic princes from giving her any assistance elizabeth's commissioners proposed also to mary a plan of accommodation with her subjects in scotland and after some reasoning on that head it was agreed that the queen should require lennox the regent to send commissioners in order to treat of conditions under her mediation the partisans of mary boasted that all terms were fully settled with the court of england and that the scottish rebels would soon be constrained to submit to the authority of their sovereign but elizabeth took care that these rumours should meet with no credit and that the king's party should not be discouraged nor sink too low in their demands cecil wrote to inform the regent that all the queen of england's proposals so far from being fixed and irrevocable were to be discussed anew in the conference and desired him to send commissioners who should be constant in the king's cause and cautious not to make concessions which might be prejudicial to their party sussex also in his letters dropped hints to the same purpose and elizabeth herself said to the abbot of dunfermling whom lennox had sent to the court of england that she would not insist on mary's restoration provided the scots could make the justice of their cause appear to her satisfaction and that even if their reasons should fall short of full conviction she would take effectual care to provide for their future security the Parliament of Scotland appointed the Earl of Morton and Sir James MacGill, together with the Abbot of Dunfermling, to manage the treaty. These commissioners presented memorials containing reasons for the deposition of their Queen, and they seconded their arguments with examples drawn from the Scottish history, with the authority of laws, and with the sentiments of many famous divines the lofty ideas which elizabeth had entertained of the absolute indefensible right of sovereigns made her be shocked with these republican topics and she told the scottish commissioners that she was nowise satisfied with their reasons for justifying the conduct of their countrymen and that they might therefore 
without attempting any apology proceed to open the conditions which they required for their security they replied that their commission did not empower them to treat of any terms which might infringe the title and sovereignty of their young king but they would gladly hear whatever proposal should be made them by her majesty the conditions recommended by the queen were not disadvantageous to mary but as the commissioners still insisted that they were not authorized to treat in any manner concerning the restoration of that princess the conferences were necessarily at an end and elizabeth dismissed the scottish commissioners with injunctions that they should return after having procured more ample powers from their parliament the bishop of ross openly complained to the british council that they had abused his mistress by fair promises and professions and mary herself was no longer at a loss to judge of elizabeth's insincerity by reason of these disappointments matters came still nearer to extremities between the two princesses and the queen of scots finding all her hopes eluded was more strongly incited to make at all hazards every possible attempt for her liberty and security end of section fifteen chapter forty part two